Hey everybody, we are Robert, Martin, and Francis, and this is Snakes and Otters, pointless discussion of eternal questions. Get ready, we're about to live in your head rent-free. Welcome back to Snakes and Otters. We are here with episode 78, I think is our number, big 78. And it is one of my favorite topics, our heroes, we all like that. I am Martin. And I'm Robert. And I'm Francis. So our heroes, today is one that is one that I have been looking forward to. We all have special episodes we do, we do them that yeah. we all look forward to. And this one, uh, the hero is uh, the great Michelangelo. And Michelangelo is, if you don't know who he is, what are you, I don't even know how you're even listening to us. I really don't. <laughs> yeah. You stumbled across us somehow. We appreciate you And we listening. appreciate you listening, but I still just but don't I, understand I don't how. get why you're here. Yeah. Um, we'll help you. But we will help you. <laughs> Stick around. It'll be fun. So Michelangelo, I consider to be the all-time GOAT. Of artists, he is the greatest of all time when it comes to uh, art. He the Tom is, Brady of the art world. He is the Tom Brady of the art world. Really, though, he's even beyond that because you know he was a painter, he was a sculptor, he was an architect, and he he was truly a Renaissance man. He wasn't just by one definition. Thing. Actually, yes, by definition. Yeah. Um, little quick background, uh, just to give you an idea of context. He's born in 1475, so literally he comes of age. At the beginning of the Renaissance, right. and he uh, is born in uh, Caprizi, Michelangelo, Italy. And, you know, it's part of your name is uh, where you are. Uh, <clears throat> and he's born in 1475, lives until 1564. Think about how old that is. It's 89 years old. Unheard of in those days. Absolutely unheard of, and it's unheard of for such a giant of an intellect of an artist to live that long because almost all the greats have tragically early ends it seems. I'm glad you mentioned that because he's one of those answers when you say what would have happened if so and so had lived Michelangelo kind of is the at least fantasy wise the answer to that question they would have been amazing. Yes. He yeah. is the example that shows what could be That's right. if you have a genius that can last. And uh, so he comes of age as an artist uh, he's apprenticed out to the the Medici family in Florence, and uh, a couple of years ago uh, visited Florence uh, on a trip with a bunch of parishioners. And my pastor, it's phenomenal. Really want to go back. Can't wait to go back, and got to walk the streets that Michelangelo walked. It's pretty amazing, yeah. And that was just phenomenal. Uh, the main uh, uh, museum there is called the Infizi, and. Uh, the, uh, oh, yeah, yes, the Uffizi Gallery. The Uffizi, right. yeah. Yeah, yeah. And it is phenomenal. doesn't even begin to yeah. scratch the surface. Yeah. Uh, it, you know, it probably, you can make an argument that it is a, a, a greater gal, uh, gallery of, of art than even the Vatican. Right? Mm. There is that much great yeah. stuff there. Mm -hmm. And uh, so Florence, of course, has a lot of Michelangelo art because he spent a lot of his time there. The Medici's mm -hmm. commissioned a lot of art. That's where the David is. Uh, you know, that's where uh, you find so many different pieces. In the in the Uffizi, uh, I don't know if you guys remember, there is a uh, picture from your art history books of a Madonna and child. Yeah. And it's circular. Yeah. Okay? And as we're going through, just marveling at everything, we turn into, my wife and I, we turn into one of these uh, galleries. Mm -hmm. There it is on the wall. As one of those dozens of moments I had in Rome that standing there face to face with one of the great pieces of artwork and again it's one of those ones that struck me because i didn't expect to see it 
But one of the things that struck me about that particular painting is it's fresco, but you can't see this from the pictures, was the depth of, <laughs> of the, the painting. The thickness um, of the paint? No, no, no. no. Not, not, not like a Van Gogh depth. I mean, like okay. the depth of perspective. Oh, okay. I mean, it had such a three-dimensional look. And, and yet it is unquestionably two-dimensional. Unquestionably two-dimensional. Gotcha. But the and the richness of the colors and the gradations and you know what went into achieving that effect was just phenomenal, and that's why you really have to go to museums to appreciate great art. There's there is nothing like seeing it in person. Watching it on the internet is no is no substitute. It really is not. It really is not. Walking around the statue of David in person is you know you, you get no real sense of the scale. Everybody knows it's huge. To get no sense of it until you walk around it in 3D. It really is phenomenal. Uh, I mean, I could go on and on. For, I mean, you guys could just sit here and listen to me. That's how much I could go on and on about What's Michelangelo. I'm a hey, no problem. So, <clears throat> your thoughts while I take a sip of this fine bourbon. Well, Francis, go ahead, bud. Oh, well, uh, Michelangelo is kind of, you're right, he's the pinnacle. He is the, the greatest of all greats when it comes to art. And part of that is his output. But part of that is also his time and talent where he's at mm -hmm. uh, because he, he had the ability to be patronized in such a way that allowed him to make his great output. Yes. Uh, we all have our favorites. Yours, I think, is probably the Pieta, which I'm sure we will yes. talk about. Uh, if you were to ask me mine, it would probably be the Moses that oh, he yes. did. Moses mm -hmm. is it's one of, it's very polished. It's very finished. Some of his stuff he was famous for not completing. He would stop. In later years. Later yes. he would he just yes. stop short and said, I've done what I wanted to do with that. Moses was one of those that was polished, the anger in his eyes. I walked into Michelangelo via the movie, The Agony and the Ecstasy. Oh, phenomenal. Which movie. we which we've done that as part of one of my you know, one of the movies we always have to watch. But ironically, this is just the age of which I was at the time, because that movie, it was done in the early sixties. When I first saw it, it was in the early 90s on a VHS because you couldn't get it. Mm -hmm. It just wasn't out there. It was one of those epics. It wasn't making a lot of money. People just didn't want to continue to see it. So I saw it that way. Ted Turner brought it back later, and I saw it many times on there. But you, speaking of Ted Turner, you remember this movie, I know. A Season of Giants. Yes. It yes. Was a, I still have that somewhere. On I hope you do because I because you can't find it. It's, mm -hmm. it's out there. It was a TNT made-for-them movie. It was at a time shortly after Ted Turner had established the network, and he wanted to make it the movie studio of television. And he funded a lot of original, really excellent, excellent, uh, Charlton Heston's Thomas Moore, Man for All Seasons, was his first. Mm -hmm. And this was shortly after that. And it was a far deeper dive with the full, because uh, Charlton Heston and uh, Rex Harrison's Agony and the Exorcist, it's a slice. It's the Sistine Chapel, mostly. Yeah. Everything else is kind of ancillary. This was the whole career. This was the beginnings of his time and how he reached to that point. It's very little of the Sistine Chapel and most everything else because you can't boil Michelangelo down even to one of those things. You really can't. And that's, you just can't. You know, like I said, he considered himself a sculptor primarily. Yeah. But uh, he, he essentially uh, didn't exactly teach himself to paint with frescoes, but that was not his primary skill. Yeah. So when you think about the Sistine Chapel... Mm -hmm. That's like his first major work as a as painter. painter. Yeah. It's like, 
That's where he starts. <laughs> yeah, the, the chapel. The top. Yeah. Well, you know, he, he, Literally. Yeah, the, the movie talks a little bit about that, too. When he was first commissioned, of course, it was he didn't want to do it. He was a sculptor who didn't want to paint. And he and Rex Harrison, of course, uh, Pope Julius, go back and forth about, well, yeah, you can do this. What do you mean? You, you painted, you painted this, you painted this, you painted this. And he said, well, that was a diversion. It was, I was from Florence. It's my thing, you know, and all that stuff. And he was basically... You're better than even you realize. And that was the beauty of that movie. Yes, the two together are what produced the great works. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and they it really was, uh, and, and you could say the same about the Medici's, Medici family, yes. because so much of what he did, I don't want to say it was forced upon him, there's a little truth to that, but it's mostly about, you know, we've talked in recent episodes about being the best version of you you can be. Well, Michelangelo was the best version of himself, sometimes under protest. <laughs> yes. So, Martin, what uh, what are your thoughts about Michelangelo? Because I know you you are, if not as familiar as uh, Francis oh, and I, no, you no, certainly not have a, not at all. have an appreciation for him. Yeah, no, I, I just I gotta stop laughing. Uh, Robert's dog just pushed the door in with his head. Yes, uh, and again, came in and is hanging out with us. So uh, we appreciate having a, a canine fan here. Yes, no, so we're I, back in Studio R in the, in the atrium. Yes, yep. Uh, you know, I marvel at your passion. I just wanted to hear that come out and what you're talking about. Um, you know, you're you're the traveled one of us. I've not traveled a bunch uh, in many many years. Um, so I'm I'm in awe. You've been to Florence. You've been to Rome. You've been to these wonderful places. You've got to see the thing you wanted to see, and, and listeners. You know, we did our Van Gogh episode, and he's the guy that kind of hits it for me when it comes to the art world. But Michelangelo is the guy that yeah, I'm surprised that, hits it that for we Robert. we separated those two uh, in time and like we did because when we did Van Gogh, we said, "Oh, we got to do Michelangelo," and here we are, what nine months later, finally getting around to it. Well, you know, it just kind of is what it is. Yeah, I, yeah, it's probably best not to do uh, the same kind of show back to back. So that's, that's well, we do it all the time. <laughs> but it's well, okay. that's a different. Well, you know, that's true. Heroes don't don't fit that way. Though. Right, we don't right. need to. Yeah, right. But you're right, you know, uh, okay, well, yeah, here, paint the Sistine Chapel, and it's a, it's an absolute masterpiece. It's it's like walking out and pitching a perfect game in the World Series, and it's your first start. Right. Um, At least your first Major League start. Yeah, yeah, your first Major League start, you pitch a perfect game in the World Series. Well, there's an old, there's an old saying, a story, I'm sure it's apocryphal, about how he ended up getting the job is that he was asked to uh, to produce his credentials and he basically takes his finger and writes a geometrically perfect circle by hand that shows, oh, now I'm sure it's probably not true, but it, it's kind of an intention to... Michelangelo's been elevated to near godlike proportions when it comes to art. And they're not wrong. <laughs> yeah. See, and that's the thing. They are not far off. It was really greatness. Yeah, yeah. Really, really that's what, and we snakes and otters. We love greatness. We love those that excel at their craft. We say that all the time. Whatever that is, to me, he's the king of craft. He Absolutely, really that's right. You know, you talked about. Oh, it's careful. You're stealing Jack Kirby's king yeah, well, title because it is everything. Well, Michelangelo right? came first, though. Well, this is it true. Is, it is ability and technique plus passion. Yes, it, it is and everything. I mean, it, it, it is yes. everything. So much raw talent is not enough. I have often said. Kirby is the Michelangelo of comics. Oh, there's no doubt as to that. So, yeah. You're exactly so right as to that. That's why I have no problem attributing both as, as King of Craft, but, uh, or King, and King of Craft for Michelangelo. But well, you know, King. Stephen King, you can make that 
you know, yes. just, you, since you said king, it kind of made me think about that. But yeah, he is, in many respects, the king of certainly horror fiction, but fiction in general in many respects. In many respects. Yeah, I'm a, a great uh, you're, you're a huge great reader of his. Yes. Yeah, you're and more so than I. I greatly admire his, his craft, his mastery of it over the years as it has progressed. That's right. He's, got, he's um, probably the most prolific author in the world. Uh, one of them, certainly. Certainly, yeah. when it comes to fiction, yeah, you'd almost have to think that's the case. Um, We'd be hard pressed to come up with whoever. Well, actually, you know what? There's probably a lot of science fiction authors that do publish more than him, but yeah. you know, those guys, some of them will publish four or five books a year. Yeah, because they're not as deep. They don't they make near as yeah. They, well, they, they don't be near. Yeah, they're not. They're not that level. That's sausage. That's, yeah. <laughs> Interesting that's, way of you put it. That's writing it out pretty quickly. Yeah, and there's nothing wrong with that because it fills a niche. Well, yeah, but, but uh, his is quality work. It is. It really and, is. And uh, so was Michelangelo's. So when when I talk about him being the king of craft, you know, you talked about the the Moses Francis. Yeah. Uh, and how how wonderfully polished that was. For me, my love of Michelangelo started with uh, uh, was in high school, uh, taking AP art. And coming across the picture of his Pieta, because as you mentioned, that is my all-time favorite yeah. piece of artwork. Bar none, to me, that is the epitome of great art. And part of the reason for that is the craft. It is complex, it is polished, and to me it's just stunning uh, in its beauty and it is, and, and its, its execution. You know, there are you, there are certain uh, certainly critiques of it that yes, you can say that's a, a valid critique. For instance, uh, so the Pieta is the Virgin Mary holding the uh, the dead uh, body of Jesus after he's taken down from the cross. Right. That is what a Pieta is, and she is if you stand her up about seven feet tall, whereas Christ is approximately six feet tall, matching the dimensions of the Shroud of Turin. In fact. Mm-hmm. Uh, so he is life size, but she is she's larger than that because you know she's mom holding the son. I was gonna say I certainly didn't know that. And You've seen this in reality. Yeah, too. I've seen it in reality. Yeah. Not as close as I would have liked because you you can't get close to that anymore after that idiot took a hammer to its hand, to hammer to it uh, uh, many many year, decades ago. Uh, it's funny. I first read about where it was. This is you know it's off to you know you come into the main doors of the Vatican. It's over off to the right. Well, the description made it sound like it's just over in the corner. Yeah. It's in a corner, but it's it, it's a huge alcove. It's like its thing, yeah. and it, yeah, and I mean, and it is huge. Well, because I mean, millions of people see it every year, of course, they do. and have for decades, centuries. It, it, my my wife was actually moved to tears when she saw it. She she knew my love of it. I mean, heck, we've got it on the wall. We bought a print of it while we were in Rome, and it's on the wall yeah. in, in the living room. But it's doesn't compare but it, to reality. It doesn't does compare it? to reality, and. Just seeing that in person, for me, was very moving. But I mean, it, it was moving for her, uh, which I was very, very impressed with and very pleased with to see that she was that moved. Um, but it's also the piece that he was most proud of, uh, at least at that time of his life. It's the only piece of artwork that he signed. And the reason he signed it was that people didn't believe he did it. And he went back into wherever it was at the time. He broke in at night <laughs> and chiseled his name. Uh, Michelangelo did this. That's a loose translation. Mm-hmm. And that's why it ha- it's, the only, it's the only thing he's ever signed. It's, if you see the strap of uh, on the Virgin Mary from one shoulder down across her, you see letters. And that's where he did it. That's where he carved the letter. And they're all perfect. 
Mm-hmm. You know, and he did this one night. You know, I mean, he. Oh yeah, that's it's a well, it's 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 I like the Moses. It's it's uber polished. Yes, it's completely finished. It's got that, and I don't know why that to me is attractive about his stuff because not all his stuff was that way. Sometimes he would uh, stop short. The early stuff is, uh, I think a lot of it had to do with his eyesight later. But there's that, there's a raw um, uh, energy to the later stuff that makes yeah, that finished yeah, aspect. And I and I don't want to disparage that in any yeah. means, but that's but to me that's not my thing. I like right. that. I like that polished, perfect look. It's like. I'm not a big fan of black and white comics because I think they stop short, even though there's sometimes some of the best stuff that's ever been done. Uh, there's been some of those mediums that is designed for black and white. I'm thinking, wow, wouldn't this have been great in color? That's just me. Depends on that's, the beauty of, that's the beauty of art, though, <laughs> is that you can have a preference on that that's just as valid as the opposite of that because it's something that just... It's what speaks to you. Yes. What makes it... You know, what makes something good... We've talked about this. You want to go back to the uh, you know the universal issue. What makes art like Michelangelo's so much better than any of his contemporaries? And even though there were some fine contemporaries, my goodness, Leonardo, yes, Leonardo yeah. Raphael, Raphael. Raphael. That's, uh, I mean, just, Donatello. I mean, all four of them, for goodness sakes. <laughs> <laughs> that was the, uh, all four of the turtles. That's right. My goodness. Uh, but yeah, they were they were the peak. Of their age, you know, Raphael's the uh, I think the youngest of the four. Uh, Donatello's a little bit uh, before the uh, uh, the others, uh, and just phenomenal men all. Mm-hmm. And not bad turtles either. Not bad turtles either. Mm-hmm. You know, part of it's a, a, a call it an accident of history. Call it great luck. Call it what you will. But as you mentioned, Francis, Michelangelo had the the benefit. Of having great patrons, he did. And yeah. you know, today we would think this is, is an awful thing. You know that that somebody would because uh, we talk about patrons, they're they're essentially the ruling families, right? Those who have yeah. the money, and they're the ones who have the money. So they're the rulers. They're the the government, and they are funding all of this art and architecture that's being done in the Renaissance. And we, we sometimes forget that uh, in our zeal to condemn, you know, government funding of of the arts. Uh, it's uh, been that way for centuries. But that's actually the norm, uh, historical it, it norm. Well, it's an, an expression of your good governance. Yes. That you're able to. Yeah. Is that the government's doing so well and that our, our city-state, our republic or whatever, is doing so well that we can even fund art. Yeah. Um, and, and Florence was a well-off place it at was. this time. Yeah, most of the Italian city-states were. Well, there's a moment in that movie, The Agony and the Ecstasy, where Raphael, who makes only a brief appearance kind of takes to task Michelangelo because he's complaining about that very thing, saying, you know, I'm kind of a prisoner of these people that are paying my money. He says, but that's who we artists are. It's a symbiotic relationship. They need us to create greatness, and we need them to help us. And it's kind of like, because that was the, that's the theme in the movie, is that this tension between Julius, who's the patron, and Michelangelo, the artist, and the two do not compromise the other. In fact, they are necessary for each other mm-hmm. in some fashion. Yeah. And greatness is, that's the key. Yeah. You're creating greatness. That's right. Yeah. You know, that sort of relationship just doesn't exist today. You know, popes don't fund individual artists for great projects like that anymore. Uh, well, you and, know, to just actually, that's, you're right on that. And here's a, here's a more, little bit more of a chilling thing. Those popes, those uh, 
uh, merchants, those great powers, whoever they were, in those days, when they funded those things, everyone got to enjoy them. Yes. Nowadays, those who have this uber amount of money, say your drug cartels, it's if they have a great artist uh, do something, it's for their own living room. Yeah. Yeah, that's a very good point. You know, the arts that we take for granted as great pieces, they were funded. They were public. For the public, for to the most in, part. To be in public, yeah. You know, the David sat out in the public square that's right. for centuries until they realized that, you know, the crap that's coming down in the rain is, is harming the statue. We're, we're going to move it inside. And now they've got a smaller copy of it that sits in that same spot that, that the original used to. Um, <clears throat> it's like a plaster copy or something. It's not uh, It's not a, uh, anywhere near the, the original, obviously. But, you know... Michelangelo was, like most great artists, it seems, tortured uh, in many ways. He never thought he was good enough, yet look what he did. Yeah. That's part of, though, I think what drives a great artist. They're never satisfied with what they do. Because once they do, I think they would lose, if they were satisfied with the art that they've created, they would lose interest. They're always pushing to get better. The great ones. Well, you know, Robin Williams, when we did the episode about him, that's kind of one of the things I thought about. He was the same way. He never liked his own stand-up. He never liked his own work. He, he thought it wasn't good enough, and yet everyone else is just saying, but this is the greatest thing we've ever seen. That, in many respects, propelled him on. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. uh, great competitors, great artists. It's that same drive. I'm not good enough. I'm not good enough. I'm not good enough. There's a yep. humility that's necessary to be good at it. Because let's face it, if you thought you were all that, you would be thrown down very quickly. Yes. Yes, it's it's one of the, the odd things about human nature. Paradox. We love our great uh, greatness in others, mm-hmm. but we don't want them to think they're great. Right. If humility comes with it, we'll, we'll, we'll right. happily jump on that bandwagon. But as long as, if they, you know, we can extreme confidence is something that we as humans find repugnant. We just can't tolerate that because that makes us seem less. Yep. Uh, you know, that's one of the reasons that uh, sometimes you see the tortured genius, the absent-minded professor and all that. We respond to that because nobody's that smart. Even if you are, you better be flawed. Otherwise, we <laughs> will destroy you. Yes. yes. I mean, that's, that's a Christ thing, too. You can't be that much powerful outside of us or we will kill you. Yeah. It's the same thing. Um, so just to put in perspective... Uh, <clears throat> the output of the man, uh, probably the, the earliest pieces are the ones that he's uh, most well known for uh, because they are the most polished the, the, yeah. and what have you. Uh, so the Pieta was done when he was, guess, give me a number. How old do you think he was? Uh, I'm, uh, it's like 21, 22, wasn't it? 24. Yeah, he, 24. he was very young, if I remember right. He was right. 24. He would have been um, 29 when he did the David. He was uh, 37 when he did the Sistine Chapel. Mm. And that took him how many years? It was like... Oh, it was like a five-year process. I was going to say. I, I it was started in the, the 15-0-whatever. Um, and, there, of course, there's a lot of political things going on during the time because yes. uh, Julius was himself deposed or partially deposed during the process. It was well, only driven out of Rome. Right. Yeah. And it was only uh, a coalition that was able to put him back because they were willing, you know, intending to, you know, if this is... If this is Julius, the Sistine Chapel will destroy it. They all, they came that close, yeah. Uh, and it was only a coalition that, that prevented that from happening. Uh, the the Michelangelo 
Well, he was 40, or the Michelangelo, I mean the, the Moses. The yeah, he was 40. He was, he was 40. Uh, it was done in 1515. The Last Judgment was probably the, the last big thing that he's known for. He was actually uh, 66. <coughs> yeah, that was done many years after, many years after. Uh, the, the ceiling of the Sistine Chapel. Yet they're both in the same space. Uh, the movie makes reference to it. says, eh, Julius says, well, maybe we ought to do something back there. Maybe a last judgment. Which, of course, those of us who know the art is going smack, smack, smack. That's exactly what's going to happen. Yes. I don't think Julius actually... I think Julius... No, he would have been... He's dead by then. Yeah, so it was kind of like it's. they're trying to tie a few things together. Eh, maybe not really, but... Uh, yeah, he may have thought of it, but... Because you know, certainly after you do that ceiling, you've got to do something with that back. Well, that's right. They had to put things together. And, but it's a very, very different piece because it is. It's uh, the ceiling is very uplifting. I mean, it's Genesis uh, in many ways. Well, it's the Old Testament in it's, many ways. It, 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 yeah, exactly. Not just Genesis. And the, the Last Judgment is very, very dark. It's the destruction of those who have not done what they should be doing, and it's yes. uh, uh, it, it's it's hard to see that. And that's a very that's probably more of a prototypical medieval mindset. Uh, even though this is Renaissance, it's kind of a throwback to that. Whereas uh, the Sistine Chapel ceiling is more of the traditional Renaissance mindset of we are reaching for the stars, we are reaching for something better. Uh, perhaps most best exemplified by. Arguably, the most famous picture from the ceiling is God and Adam. Yes, the, 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 the listless Adam reaching forth with one finger to be enlivened and vivified by God. And yes. it's, 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 it's still, it gives me chills even. It's not just the art. It's also the theology behind the art and what it's trying to say about the nature of humanity which is one of the reasons we love, one of those other reasons we love Michelangelo is because he had a vision that understood humanity Amazingly well. Yes. And it comes forth in that. Well, and when you think about the time that this is going on in the world, this is an amazing time. Not just for what's going on in Italy. When you think about what's going on in England at this time when he's doing all of this, mm -hmm. you know, we've got the, um, the, 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 oh, the Tudors have that's come correct. to power. Right. Uh, you know, Shakespeare is alive during his life. Of course, that's not hard to do when you're talking about an 89 year life spanning the, the, in almost the entirety of the 16th century. It's not that difficult to, to encounter some other greats. I think Shakespeare was after him. Was it after? Yeah, because... I, I was thinking it was the, uh, near the end. Uh, yeah, because Shakespeare is do, is at his height in 1603. Ah, okay. Yeah, so, uh, however... I was thinking they were they crossed they, paths. Not quite, but close. They're very close. I mean, Thank certainly, you for the Yeah, I want to... Uh, because he was king. King Richard, the, I mean, uh, when he was born, he's, ten, he's during the, the Yorkist period in England. Uh, for, you know he's ten, he's ten years old when Bosworth Field happens and everything changes and Henry the Seventh and his son of course Henry the Eighth were actually part of the coalition that put Julius back in place. Yes, back when there's Henry an irony Catholic. for you. That's yes. right. When Henry was Catholic, he was well. Part of that was self-serving. Henry saying, "Well, you know, if all you guys are going, you know, I'm greater than you are. I have to be there." Yes. Plus, I might need a favor from the Pope one day. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, we all saw how that one worked out. Yeah, different I mean, Pope, mind you. Different Pope. Yeah, that's correct. Um, so yeah, he, he lives in a time when when uh, I would say learning has been restarted because, as you know, I'm of the opinion that uh, that there was that what we colloquially call the Dark Ages is a disservice yeah. to we've uh, had that. the High Middle Ages. Uh, there's so much going on uh, that 
you know, universities were, were thriving yeah. during the, the latter half of that thousand years. Right, yeah. Um, I'm, I'm and without that last 500 years, the Renaissance doesn't happen. Exactly. I'm more inclined to push the Dark Ages to pre-Charlemagne at best. And I know we've, you've not liked that either, but it's... Uh, well, certainly pre-Charlemagne. Well, yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah. So, the problem is the Middle Ages was so freaking long, it defies categorization. I mean, we've had to divide it into three pieces, for goodness sakes, early, middle, and high or early, high, and late, but then it bleeds into the Renaissance. I mean, where do you end the Middle Ages? It depends on where you want to, right? Right. Well, it, it also depends on, you know, you know middle, the Renaissance doesn't start the same in, every, in the same year yes. everywhere. It takes a little bit of time for these, these movements uh, to really coalesce into one yes. European thing. Uh, but, you know, really... Rome, Rome and, and Florence and Venice, these are the homes, the centers of what is Renaissance, what is the Renaissance. Well, I mean, you, spent, you know, Venice probably doesn't get as much of a uh, credit as it should, but in many respects, it were the Venetians that, present, that prevented uh, the spread of uh, the Muslims into Europe with the Battle of Lepanto, which yes. is another, which another, yeah, you know, another thing. victory at Lepanto, yes. And, you know, which is huge because Constantinople had already fallen. It was yep. done. The Eastern Empire was gone, yep. uh, and it, things would have been very, very different. Except for the for the strength of those Italians, uh, it wasn't just them. There were many, many others. But Venice took on the lion's share of that. Yes. Uh, so, you know, the time that he lives is, is just phenomenal. Can you imagine the the feeding off of one another, the competition from these artists? Raphael was very. Uh, jealous in many ways of Michelangelo's standing. Michelangelo he wanted a, the Sistine Chapel. Yeah, Michelangelo was a little bit older than he was. But I yes, think. he was. Yeah, uh, yeah, more established. Older, more established. I think Raphael was just coming into his his early just patronage. moving out of being an, an apprentice. Yes, kind of. And so he 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 you know he gets the papal apartments, which is no small thing. And he goes on, of course, to many other great things. But you've got all of these these artists that they all know one another. It's you know it's it's like the Inklings uh, with with Jared Tolkien. Yeah, you know they know one another. They, they feed off of one another, whether yeah. it's adversarial or not. Right. Uh, the environment is just so ripe. Uh, it really is a perfect storm of personalities to produce uh, all these great artists. So, what bourbon are we drinking today, boys? Well. I went into your ample pantry, Robert. <laughs> yes, yes, we can only aspire to have as many bourbons as Robert I'm has. On, I'm working on it. Um, and I poured some of that uh, smoked maple knob creek. Ah, yes. Oh, yes, I love Great that stuff. stuff. I love Great that. Stuff. Yeah, and uh, I'm going to have to take the contrarian position. Again, not that it's bad, but I'm feeling it's, a, it's just a little overwhelming, the, the maple leaf. I can see that. It's a little too much maple donut. <laughs> I'm not seeing the problem, actually. That's one of the things I like. Well, and, and fellas, I'm working very hard on cutting way back on my sugar drinks. Ah, yes. Well, yeah. Um, we can only aspire I, to that, I had too. not had a soda today. Good man. So I'm working on cutting way, way back on the sodas, sticking more with the unsweet tea. Mm-hmm. So I'm developing. Oh, that's a, disgusting! Oh, I love unsweet tea. Oh really? my god, it's an abomination. Mm. <laughs> love it. Um, so I'm, I'm. I'm not a big tea fan, and I don't. You know, I still so don't I'm, I'm working on kind of changing that palate from having to have that sugar drink. That's a good thing. It really is. Yeah. So yeah. I commend you. A little, little, little concerned about my weight and my blood sugar. That's right, because like you that. know, the oldest people are not the fat ones. 
you look at people who live to be a long age, you know, long time, live to be older, they mm-hmm. generally aren't the big guys. Yeah, yeah, yes, I worry about that. There's some truth to that. We can all we can all do better. So, what are you drinking there, Francis? Oh, uh, I went back to uh, the Four Roses. Ah, uh, as you, you can see, it's, it's, that one's easily discernible in the glass. Uh, it's a little bit lighter in color. It's it's far more mild. It's like mild salsa compared to the hot or even the medium. It just, but it's smooth. It's very, yes. it's easily. I don't want to say chuggable. That's not a good word no, for no. this. But uh, it's certainly is meant to be sipped. Yeah, but it's uh, it's it's it flows well. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's a good way to put it. It flows well. It's smooth and smoky, um, and like you said, for a twenty-five dollar bourbon, that's pretty darn hard to beat. It really is. Uh, I also get out there and get the four roses. I was just say, what do you got, Robert? Yeah, I also got the uh, the four roses. This is the four roses, just regular bottle of bourbon. It's not the single batch. Uh, you know, you can find it if you find it on sale. It's under twenty dollars sometimes, which normally I wouldn't even think about that. But it's a four roses. Yeah, and the quality really is, is what it is. Yeah, yeah it really stuff. is quality. Uh, good stuff. It is good stuff. I, I, can't speak well enough of it. Uh, it's a nice contrast to the others that, that we've had, but because uh, I like that, I like having a, a good contrast so that you know there's a so that, I, if they all were the same, it wouldn't matter what you bought. You right. Know? Yeah. So. So, I got a question for you, Robert. I knew you would. Okay. So, uh, listeners, uh, again, Robert is the guy with the. Most extensive art background. One of his degrees is in art, mm-hmm. and I just, I why is art important? Oh wow! Talk about well, the eternal I, questions. Right. Yeah. So, so yeah, I mean, we we've we've talked about John Stuart Mill, and we we I think unilaterally dismissed him. Well, we're going to burn him in effigy eventually. Yes, we haven't yeah, quite got there yet. Utilitarianism is is not our thing. No, but I, I, you know, there's some value in utility and things like that. And where does art fit in that? Well, from a purely utilitarian aspect, uh, it would be difficult to quantify because that's the whole thing about utilitarianism is you're able to quantify worth. Yeah, and with art, it's almost impossible to do that. Uh, especially when you get uh, the great artwork, you know the great artists and, and their works, because uh, you, you couldn't. How can you put a price on something like the Pieta uh, or the Sistine uh, Chapel ceiling? And I, for me, I wouldn't have put it this way when I was pursuing my degree because I wasn't Catholic, wasn't anywhere near mm-hmm. uh, schooled in any kind of, of uh, theology and religion. I was. Uh, looking back now, I realize what a uh, pagan jerk I was. Uh, well, I wouldn't say you were a jerk. Might be a pagan, but you were well, a jerk. You know, heathens, heathens, heathens. But art is something that, for me, speaks to me in a way that it is very. It's hard to put into words because it is very much, and you know, being a guy, I'm not a feelings, you know, touchy feely kind of guy. But for me, it evokes uh, a sense of awe mm-hmm. and wonder mm-hmm. that man can do these things. But it also, now that I have more context as far as a, a theological background, I'm just older and hopefully a little bit wiser. I realize that. 
truly great art is God speaking to us through other human beings. And it doesn't mean I consider all great art uh, the same as scripture, because that's not what I'm saying. But to me, great art has to have some element of beauty. And yes, I know art is subjective. Mm -hmm. uh, But for me, great art reflects truth and beauty. Both of those things, when you put the capital T and the capital B, you know, capital T, truth, capital B, beauty, those are qualities either of God or they are God. You know, Christ is the way, the truth, and the light. You know, Pontius Pilate, he famously says, what is truth? <coughs> he says this to truth himself. Mm-hmm. So, you know, because Jesus doesn't answer. It's like, well, you know, he's standing there pointing back and he's like, dude, Hello. where have you been? That's right. Hello, pay attention. Right here. That's right. Um, but to me, so it's a it's a reflection of the divine spark. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, that's absolutely. A, you boy, that's, let me give me. Here's the hammer. You use that for okay. me. Okay. Uh, boom. That's good. Yeah, so that's yeah, it is. Good. That's a great way to put it. Yeah, art is not possible without a divine spark. Uh, now I know the our atheist brothers and sisters would would push back at that, saying, "No, we do that. Our own genius." No, 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 no. The concept of genius. You have to understand. There's a certain theology of abundance that goes with this, that we have been given everything we need. But the operative word in that phraseology is that we're given. Everything that we have is a gift. Absolutely everything we have, from the world we inhabit, to the genius we have, to the talent we have, to the wisdom we've gained. We participate in that, potentially. That is the beauty of Christianity, in my opinion. It's not our own. Is that... It is an incarnational faith. That's why we call Jesus becoming man incarnation. God has become man and partaken of human life so that man can partake of the divine life and participate in that life which is truth and beauty and creation. We've talked about how bearing children is participation in the divine life. Yeah, it's, it's creation. It's, 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 but it is not solely ours. Right. Because ours ulti- is the same way. Yeah, because ultimately if you were to take that route, if you were to you know disconnect God from that and make that solely your own, then children become your property, which leads to some unfortunate uh, yeah. understandings of human life, yeah, which, we've, it, which we deal with yeah. constantly. You know... <clears throat> There is a the the of course as the world comes apart, um, you know, in the eighteen hundreds, and you have things like Marxism out there, and Marxist art critiques, and uh, well, you know, all this great art is bourgeois, bourgeois and it's all this, right. and it's like, so we're going to recreate art, and 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 do Marxist art, you know, or whatever they call it. It's like, well, why are you bothering? If you don't think there's anything here, well, why do you need to? It's, it serves its own it's purpose. So, it's propaganda, usually. Yes. Uh, I'll give you a great example. And you guys know I'm a big fan of Tolstoy. Uh, in 1960, I mean, well, let me back up. You know, Tolstoy wrote the thing in the late 1800s, 1880s. Yeah. Which uh, thing? Yeah, uh, the War and Peace. War, yeah, because he did write more than that. Yeah, exactly. Right. Yeah. Uh, yeah, sorry. Uh, he writes War and Peace then. It becomes a, a, a spiritual classic, a, a, a historical classic, uh, all sorts of things in his lifetime. 
uh, and he's, he's revered for it, Russian Revolution takes place, it's still considered the story of Russia. Uh, Soviets, uh, well, in 1956, uh, King Vidor makes the Hollywood version of this with Henry Fonda and several, and, uh, uh, and several others uh, that were on that uh, in that movie. It was huge, and Soviets didn't like that, so they cre- commissioned uh, Sergei Bonaduchek, and I'm not pronouncing his name. It's more complex than that, but it's pretty close to that. Sergei. Sergey is good. That's correct. Uh, to create, we're, you know, you've got the entire Soviet state behind you. Make us our version of War and Peace, the movie version of it, and it will be a monument to great Soviet cinema. And uh, they gave him. Boy, un- there's a phrase you don't hear very often. Well, and to be honest, he pulls it off brilliantly. Having an unlimited budget makes a difference sometimes because he's not constrained well, by that. And also, fear of the consequences of failing. Well, yes, not not that he would probably have been killed or anything for it, but his reputation certainly would have suffered. Uh, well, the Gulag, I'm sure, would have been could have future. could have been. It would have to been a disaster. Hey, to get to chiseling ice out of the toilet bowls in Siberia. Yeah, it's uh, it, it never really came to that. That's on the good days. He had he had enough backing for this, but he it was in many respects it's a monument to him too. He plays the main character in it, even though he's a little bit too old for it. But if you watch it, it's four freaking hours. It's in four so parts. So it's the abridged version. Oh yeah, it is. It is the abridged version of the darn of the darn book. It's so long, but it's four hours, and you can see this now uh, if you have HBO Max. It's on there, all four versions, subtitled. Uh, I've watched it in recent in recent months. It is brilliantly done. Uh, it captures more than just Napoleon and uh, Russia's defeat of him. It is really a monument to what was intended to be a Soviet uh, type of virtues. But it turns out, ironic, irony, irony, watching it here in 2020, you think, wait a minute, that's not Soviet. That's Russian. It comes off as Russian. It's supposed to be Russian. And the Soviets kind of got what they, what they asked for. In many respects, it turns out, you know, there is no such thing as Soviet, as you, to go back to yours, Robert. Uh, no, they tried, and it comes across as Russian, and it's beautiful. It's wonderful. It's well-made. It's fantastic. My God, the money they spent, and it shows. Uh, Sergei, Sergei Bondrucker is an amazing director, but, you know, art becomes good not because of the politics behind it or the forces or the patron behind it, but by the vision of the person who moves forth in spite of that. And Sergei knows he was Soviet. You guys have seen his work because we watched his second movie he made after that, Waterloo, in 70. Mm. Uh, he was the same director of that. It looks weird to watch it to Western eyes because he's very Russian in the way he directs things. But he was brilliant. Yeah, it just... it it You know, the, the Marxist, Leninist, Soviet, communist, Maoist, whatever had to, you know, visual representations became very important. Uh, you know, the upturned worker gaze, you know, yeah. uh, the, the noble peasant and the, all that. It becomes an important part of their ethos. Oh, that's a good word. Oh, that's a very good yeah. word. Yeah. Like it is. You're exactly it's right. like, but why do they bother? Well, it's how you sell the big lie. Yeah. Because it's and they it's used as as Francis said as propaganda and the very example you're talking about we've all seen versions of it oh, where yeah. you see 
yeah. uh, uh, almost like a, a, an assembly line version of several peasants yeah. looking up <clears throat> off into the sky like they're you know in that noble pose, and it looks like it's the the glorification of the peasant, but what it's doing is getting the peasant to buy into the Soviet, yeah. which is the state, and that's what that's where the "Quote unquote genius" is in that it's using the art yeah. to elicit the response they want, but the response is not actually the response that uh, that the the people who are viewing it think that you know, yeah they're yeah. giving something they don't think they're giving. Yeah, it, it's by using art in itself, you're undercutting your own position. Well, exa- well it's exactly my point with that and movie, it, War and Peace. Yeah, it, it comes across it's not Soviet, it's Russian. Well, but things it's like, art. It's, it's art. It's beautiful. It's beautiful. And yeah. it's it's not gulags and a hundred million dead. It's it's beauty right. and art and a celebration of humanity. Well, and how they use art is you have to remember in in the communist states, everything is to the service of the state. Yes. So including the art, including the the cinema and the books and the theater, everything has to be to the service of the state. And that by def to me. Because I have some very specific definitions I know not everybody would agree with, especially the hoity-toity uh, artist types that personally I wouldn't get along with anyways. But I have some very specific definitions. Anything like that, something is, that is at service, the service of the state, by definition, is no longer art. Because the purpose is no longer noble. Yeah. Ah, there you go. That's, that's kind of what we've been dancing around. Because art the soul, not the state. Exactly. Oh my God! I, I, he did it again. That's right. <laughs> he is the hammer today, gentlemen, right. ladies and gentlemen. That's right. Martin oh, is man. just man. Wow, We're on it today. dude. We're all good. Uh, but yeah, it, it wait, serves the soul. Then we need to stop then. <laughs> if I've had a good episode, we need yeah. to quit. That's right. Before you say something stupid. <laughs> exactly. Not exactly. Usually, usually exactly. you got it right, but you you, know, you exactly. are far more profound wow. today. Yeah. Well, you know that's the greatness of, of this show. We can all be profound. Yes. Yes. Yeah, we all have our moments, certainly. But, you, but, but I, I like the way you've taken that because this is not just a hero's episode, although it is. Uh, but it's as usual. It's much bigger than that. Yeah. Why does that matter? Why is he a hero? Well, because yeah, he's exactly. the greatest. Well, what? Great at what? I mean, I could be great at digging a hole. So what? Mm-hmm. No, he's great at feeding the soul of humanity. Exactly. And, and the proof is in the pudding in his longevity, of course, from his work. Yes. But One of the things that... Uh, so I said I had some very specific definitions of what is good art and what is not. Um, you know, I talked about uh, conveying truth and beauty. Uh, you know, and when I say truth, I don't mean like factual truth. Uh, that truth that does speak to the soul, things that you recognize as a, as good and and, yeah. and, yeah. and correct. Uh, but things like, and I know I'm going to take heat over it, but like a Jackson Pollock. I have a yeah, it's art. I don't know that I would call his stuff good art. You know, drizzling the paint on the canvas. I'm having a hard time seeing how that feeds my soul. For somebody else, maybe it does, but for me, it doesn't do it. Piet Mondrian, he's the guy who did the the blocks, the very uh, yes, the Mondrian is kind of just stripes. Yeah, well, stripes, uh, rectangle squares colored in. It's you'd know it if you saw it. Yeah. Oh yeah. Um, doesn't do a damn thing for me. Uh, I, yeah, I recognize that it is art. It is a creative uh, uh, venture, but 
I, I you know, it's almost uh, anti-art in the sense that uh, it, these things were done at a time where uh, they were trying to be like a Nietzsche, throwing out the standards. Yeah, throwing out the traditions. Oh, right. throwing out Are the you speaking standards. like a Picasso, the Cubism, and things like that? No, no, because that I can that I consider good art. Okay, because the technique was not the point. Right. Jackson Pollock drizzling the paint is the point. Yeah, yeah, I get that. I get it. There, there's, there comes a point in in art, in modern art, where the technique is the point. Where look how much of a genius I am because I'm doing a technique nobody else has done. Exactly. Well, nobody else has done it because it's stupid. Well, right. that, that's kind. Of, it's kind of the ultimate subjectivity, which kind of gets to the point of you know ultimate egoism. Well, yeah, exactly. That's exactly it. And you know, you kind of. Lo- I mean, does not art have to have? Don Henley would always say, all good writing, all good art is essentially a leap of faith in the fact that you believe that what you are putting forth, a great number of other people see value in as well. And like I've always remembered that. Yeah, that's exactly right. We're leaping. We're leaping. We yeah. are. Snakes and Otters is a leap of faith. We hope you leap with us, man. So, yeah. So, to me, that's part of why he speaks to me because yeah. it feeds the soul. He... he he creates things that are phenomenally beautiful, things that evoke responses. And, you know, I go back to the story of my wife and crying at the Pieta. You know, she's seen it a million times. She knows my my love of it, but you know, it really struck her. wasn't the same, was it? And seeing that in person, yeah, it it really it, to me that was just one of the the best parts of that trip. Was seeing her appreciate and realizing what that what that how means. moving it is, um, and you know, I mean, that whole trip for me was just like I could do it over and over and over. It's you know, certain things that I, I my son, God love him, never does anything twice. Reads a book, he's done. Never, <laughs> never read it again. Why would he? Why would he read it again? He's already read it. Watching movies and TV shows, why would he watch them again? He's already seen them. Oh god, the pain, the pain, the pain. That's right. Because so, a good, a good art, a good movie, a good song. Why would you? I mean, if you take his now, he does listen to music. He listens to my music. A good deal of it. Yeah, yes. that's right. And yet, that's that's a repetitive fact, and nothing else seems to be. But yeah, so I I think he'll get there eventually because he so, plays the same damn video game over and over. Well, there's hope for him after all, it sounds like. I, there is. I mean, he's still young. I mean, really. I mean, if you're not memorizing Monty Python by watching it over and over again, I, I, I'm not sure. I mean, I'm questioning your choices in life. Exactly. <laughs> you know, I, I, you I feel must, like I failed him as, uh, as a parent. You yeah. must memorize Monty Python. I, I've got That's the youngest to do on that, so. People still get it, you know. It's, it's like Henley's Leap of Faith. Lots of people can quote Monty Python, and and have and and we and you have this this an amazing bonding that you have somebody when you make a quotation from Monty Python and somebody else finishes the line, <laughs> you've got a friend for life. Absolutely, absolutely. And you know, art is one of those things that. So he's, he's a great Catholic artist, yeah. obviously being an Italian in Renaissance Italy, and. I can't believe that he was not a believer because of the way the art is done. I don't see how you could not believe yeah. and still do those pieces. Yeah. So, to me, that's it's also... It's not an a, exercise in cynicism. It, it, it's real. It's real. No, he's no Nietzsche. It's an expression of his, his own faith, I think. 
And to me, that's also what helps speak to me is that for him, it's his way of witnessing his own faith. And I think art, and the thing about his art, even Protestants love it. You know, yeah, even yeah. the ones that don't like those statue-worshipping papists still recognize the, the beauty and the glory in that art because that's what it does. It glorifies God. Uh, you know, not all great art does because you be a beautiful piece of work that is not necessarily the direct glorification of God, but it still reflects that divine spark, as you said. Yeah. yeah. So, anyways, I think we have probably done as much on this as we, we possibly can without me sounding like a, a, a bore going over and over about how much I love this guy. Uh, so, Francis, what is up next, buddy? Well, we're going to do, uh, we're going to go back to pop culture. We've kind of found our way into certain things we do every year. Last year we did uh, the movies we always have to watch, and we only got to do two apiece, and we're thinking, well, we've got to make this an annual thing. Well, it's time again. It's time. We, uh, we're going to come back again. Movies we always have to watch, second edition. Each of us will go through twice with saying, these movies, now, we probably are picking ones that we all like. I don't think we're going to sit a step too far outside of that. But movies that when they come on television, you just got to yeah. watch them. The channel surfing ends. The channel surfing ends. The intention is to be there. They're great movies. You probably have seen them. You've probably seen them many times, except your son, of course, who doesn't do such things. Maybe we can convert him and fix that, because these are movies you should watch multiple times. He has seen several of the ones that are on our list. We have gotten to watch them, but, you know, it's the coming back to it. Still working on those. We'll, we'll still keep right. working. Join us next time. Thanks for being with us here every week at Snakes and Otters, a pointless discussion of eternal questions. Be sure to spread the word on your social media accounts. Follow us and retweet us. We are on Instagram and on Twitter at Snakes and Otters. Let your friends know that they can find us on Podbean, Spotify, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, Apple Podcasts, and on YouTube. Just search Snakes and Otters Podcast to find us, and please remember to leave us your comments and reviews. It helps people find us. And you can always send us an email at snakesandotterspodcast at gmail.com. I'm Martin. I'm Robert. And I'm Francis. Catch us next week. Same snake time, same otter channel.